Well, good morning, Scarlet City. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at the church. And I'm kind of new here. Uh, my wife and my daughter and I, we moved here about three months ago. Um, uh, we moved here from, uh, I almost said Scarlet, North Carolina. We moved here from Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I'm part of the pastoral staff here, so it's, uh, it's really great to be here. Uh, if you're new, like me, uh, we have Scarlet City Explore today, uh, which is our uh, kind of hangout thing after the service. There's going to be pizza. We're going to be hanging out, talking uh, a little bit about church. So if you're interested, you could definitely sneak in the back. Where is it? Where is it going to be? It's going to be in the fellowship hall, which is out here and to the left. Uh, so if you want to sneak in and not be seen, you can hang out in the back. That's fine. And just listen if you have questions about our church. Uh, feel free to come in uh, and ask them. So hope to see you there. Uh, and I also just want to say thank you to everyone. Uh, everyone's been super welcoming uh, to my family. Um, we're very humbled. We feel very cared for uh, here at this church. Um, and we look forward to hearing the stories uh, of what God is doing uh, in your lives and what he's already done in your lives and what uh, he's continuing to do. And we aren't ones to turn down dinner uh, or drinks or hanging out or anything. So... If you need my number, you can get it, email, come at me. I'm also preaching off paper today, okay? It's a traditional uh, uh, source of, of writing, uh, which, also means, which also means I have in the front row, I have a folded up second sheet in case, like, in case, I don't know, like a window breaks and, and the wind kind of takes everything. That's not a threat when you have an iPad, but it is a threat when you have loose paper. So if there's wind, I just need someone to bring me that. Nice, everyone's laughing, they love me, they love me. All right, so we started off this year with a series called Everyday Faith. We were talking about the different aspects of the Christian uh, walk and framing them in, in sort of simple, approachable ways. In the past three weeks, Jay, Pastor Jay, talked about uh, three different things. He talked about walking with God, he talked about pursuing everyday justice, and he talked about praying and communicating uh, with God on a simple and daily level. But this week, we're going to talk about discipleship. Now, this word crops up all the time in Christian circles, in church circles. It's the idea of being discipled, right? Maybe you've heard that phrase before. And as much as some people like to be leaders and take control of situations, I think just as much uh, many of us like to uh, be followers. We like to identify uh, ourselves with who we follow. So I thought it would be interesting to look up who are the top five most followed people on Twitter, Okay, so does anyone have any guesses who's in the top five? Katy Perry. Be, okay, yep. Okay, Katy Perry is number one. Someone said Katy Perry. Katy Perry has 108 million followers. And uh, <laughs> Wow, look, Katy Perry haters. All right, also, B, I heard someone else say Bieber. Okay, Bieber's number two. He's got 105 million. What, what else? Beyonce is close. She's seven, I think. So we also have President, we have former President Obama, Rihanna, I heard someone say Rihanna, and then we also have Taylor, Taylor Swift is the fifth one. And I also, I, I mean, I love Jay, I love Pastor Jay, but, but last week he talked about Justin Bieber as well, and I think he called people who like Justin Bieber, he called them Bieberites or Bieberians or something like that. And if you don't know, if it's, if you don't know that it's Beliebers, I don't know what you know. So I love you, Jay, but it's Beliebers. There's 105 million Beliebers out there. Now, just think about this, right? Okay, think about that group of five. Okay, what does it really say about our culture? Mostly, I think it kind of says that we like pop music. Uh, 
Now, and, and I don't necessarily know if everyone here would agree that who we follow on Twitter necessarily is who we exactly imitate in our lifestyle, right? But we, you kind of get the idea, right? That, that these are the type of people that we follow. These are the type of celebrities that we follow. There's only 11 countries. There's only 11 countries in the whole world that have more people in them than Katy Perry has followers on Twitter. It's crazy. Anyway, follow me on Instagram, at jbeach4. <laughs> Only the hits. Now, we, okay, we as a race, as humans, we love to say that we follow certain people. We love to say that we are shepherded, right, in a way. We're shepherded by certain personalities and ideas and groups. We're kind of like sheep. We look for shepherds. We look for leaders. We look for people to do things for us. We look to follow and be disciples of things and of people. And we're not unlike the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to in this very passage, that we're going to look at this morning. The Corinthian church was, in a way, becoming obsessed with their leaders. They were obsessed with identifying themselves by who their shepherd was. And what I want to do today is examine what the word tells us about discipleship. What is it supposed to be? What is it not supposed to be? What should we today be doing when it comes to being disciples, making disciples, and participating in discipleship? The Corinthians had a misunderstanding of what discipleship was supposed to be. So let's look at our passage. Let's look at, uh, uh, let's look at this passage through the lens of a group of Christians in a local church, not unlike our church, where we and we will look for the answer to the question, what is discipleship? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, I think. Is it going to be up there? Maybe? Oh, Yeah. All right, so if you have it uh, on your Bible or on your phone, uh, or you can follow up on the screen, but I will read it now. Starting in verse 10, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not remember, excuse me, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So looking first at verses 10 through 12, we see that the Corinthians are obsessed with leadership. Some say I follow Paul, others say I follow Apollos, Others say, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. It's a different name for Peter. And uh, others still say, I follow Christ. What they were doing was identifying different spiritual leaders of Christianity at that time and claiming that these people were their chief shepherds, that they were the most important thing to give their allegiance to. This is who I follow. This is who I claim. This is the clique that I ride with. This is my crew. And what this was doing was creating division among the church. There were factions, there were circles, there were insiders and outsiders, groups that were less concerned with their 
overall community or their church and more concerned with who they claimed as their chief spiritual influence and shepherd. I'm a sheep and you're a sheep, but we have different shepherds. We're different groups. This is classic tribalism, behavior and lifestyles that stem from a strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. Now, this is something that we see today, I think, as well. We often find ourselves identifying with certain groups and certain crowds. We think, they're not really part of my group. They don't think the way I do. They're different. They're other. They're outsiders. They don't view, they don't view things like I do. They're not woke. We do it. We do it with all kinds of things. We do it with politics. We do it with sexuality, with sports, with religion, economic status, social status, education, all kinds of stuff. Oh, those people over there, they went to public school. Mm. I think those people, they go to bars. She didn't go to college. Oh, they spend too much time on Facebook. They go to church. They drive a fancy car. They think tattoos are cool. They root for Michigan. <laughs> That's a gluten eater over there. His pants are a little too skinny for his waist size. That one hits close to home. So tribalism, right? Okay, all kinds of stuff that we self-identify with that can cause relational strife and disunity. We begin to champion some of our own convictions and cultural stances and those who also espouse them and agree with us. I'm with Oprah. I'm with Trump. I'm with Tim Keller. I'm with Rob Bell. I'm with the Gospel Coalition website. I'm with the Pope. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. I'm with Peter. 2,000 years later from when this letter was written, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Paul responds to this report of tribalism and division among the Christians at the church in Corinth in verse 13 by basically saying, what are y'all doing? He questions what is at the heart of these people obsessed with their leaders. His questions are these. Is Christ divided? Was I the one who was crucified for you, Paul? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer to these rhetorical questions Paul is asking is no. Paul is not the chief shepherd of these sheep. He may have led them for a time and he may have preached among them for years even, but he was not their ultimate shepherd. He did not want shepherdhood of these people's souls placed on himself. He knew better. Discipleship is not about identifying with a Christian leader. It's not about group identification. It's not about a student uh, to an expert teacher who dispenses all wisdom and understanding to you. It's not about having a guru or a spiritual director. In essence, discipleship is not about possessiveness, being counted as a follower of a great leader or a pastor or an author or a friend or a person. These people were looking for intermit intermittent saviors, they were looking for someone to, to be able to say, I, because I identify with this person, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be uh, pointed in the right spiritual direction. This shepherd is going to lead me to the right place. And Paul himself, who started the church in Corinth, downplays his own role as the best spiritual guide in the history of that church. While he certainly is deserving of credit, right, for investing in the people there and in building up their faith, he has no interest in being their cultic personality, he doesn't want to be their savior. He doesn't want to be their chief shepherd. He doesn't want any Christians to identify themselves as of Paul. He admits that he himself didn't even do all of the groundwork in Corinth. He only baptized a couple people, some of which he can't even completely remember. 
Now, it's not too secret a secret that I watched The Bachelor. And I watched The Bachelorette too, but you didn't ask that. And I hope this is an accepting place, but this is a phenomenal show, okay? And not phenomenal because it's good. <laughs> like 90% of it is fake, 90% of it is like overproduced, and people are just like out there acting crazy. And everything's backwards. You get like 30 men or 30 women all competing for one bachelor or one bachelorette to be picked at the end. And so they're all doing these wild things to try and get time with them, trying to be noticed, just like all kinds of crazy stuff. And what they're doing is saying this. They're saying, I want to be known as Ari's girl, okay? I want to be known as Lauren's guy. I want to be Nick's girl. I want to be JoJo's guy, okay? Team JoJo. But, but the whole show, okay, the whole show is like a competition to be, who, to be most identified, most loved, the most chosen person in the show. It's crazy. There's cliques. People form sides. There's like this irrational free-for-all mentality kind of. And none of these people actually, like, ever stay together. There's, like, I don't know, there's, like, three couples that ever stayed together. But after the show, the contestants are still identified. If they come back to the show or they're, like, out or somewhere, they're still identified as, like, oh, this person was from Ben's season or this person was from Lauren's season. And it's, it's how we sort of identify these people uh, who were on the show. The show is not about encouragement. It's not about helping. It's not about community or friendship or humility or peace. Or, or true identity, anything like that. It's about factions, it's like war. Gossip, possessiveness, it's all about winning the affection of the star or the lead of the show, uh, or getting the most camera time, honestly. And it's a bit of a train wreck. Honestly, as I'm describing, to you right, as I'm describing it to you right now, I'm kind of like, why do I even watch this show? Uh, but I think, this kind of could, I think this kind of can say something about our culture, right? It, talks, uh, 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 it sort of describes how we view relationship building or community or love or dating or identity or, or something like that. And we, we all kind of know on the, other side of the, uh, on the other side of the TV, like, hopefully this isn't real life. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And in these verses, I think Paul, verses 10 through uh, 16 that we uh, uh, just discussed, I think Paul is debunking this idea, this wrong idea of discipleship and what being a disciple uh, looks like. It's not that dissimilar, hopefully, for how we look at The Bachelor, for instance, and say, what are you doing? Like, this is not how this is supposed to work. This is not real. This is fake. This is all backwards. This is not your true identity. Now, before we get to the, the, what, what I think is the sort of clim climactic verse, the centerpiece of this topic on discipleship from Paul uh, in verse 17, uh, I, would, uh, I hope we can uh, just for a moment quickly look at where the Bible elsewhere uses the term disciple, okay? So, a general definition for the term disciple is one who is a learner or follower of the teachings of another. It's someone who takes up the, uh, for themselves the lifestyle or the ways of someone else. Biblically speaking, it's one who learns from and lives like Christ. The 12 disciples were 12 men who literally followed, followed Christ around, uh, around Palestine, listening to his teachings and, and watching his ways and, and imitating him in different ways. And we would today consider, so if we use the term disciple of Christ, as someone who imitates his or her words and conduct to be, that of, uh, to be like that of Christ. He is the ultimate shepherd of the sheep, and his sheep are those who are led by him. They take their cues from him, they're protected and overseen by him, they're loved by him, they follow him. Now, using this operational definition... Uh, uh, how then should we perceive the practice of discipleship, if that's what a disciple is? What does it look like in our context? If our truest calling as Christians is to follow Christ, how are we supposed to do it in community, together? 
Now, Paul, in verse 17, kind of throws the hammer down on the Corinthians, and he says, starting in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The centerpiece of Paul's ministry is the preaching of the gospel. As a leader in the church, as one who planted churches, pastored, preached among the masses, he boiled his mission down simply to preaching the gospel. And what all people need, Christian or non-Christian, more than anything else in this life is to hear and believe the gospel. They need to hear and know that Jesus died for them that they can have life as a son or daughter of a loving heavenly father. They need to hear that in their attempts to be good or acceptable or vindicated are ineffectual because it's only by faith in the life and death of Christ that we are justified. Paul does not offer fancy or eloquent wisdom. He did not primarily offer his strong leadership or his personality. He didn't volunteer uh, to be the spiritual center of the church. The power of discipleship in the church is not in complicated systems, it's not in information downloads, it's not in the strength of men or women who are leaders in the church. The power of discipleship rests in the gospel of Jesus. So that means for us, for Christians who want to participate in a local body like this, in a church, in communal growth, in discipleship relationships, what we need to do, what we need to be concerned about are the implications of the gospel, not necessarily, first and foremost, who we identify with. And that should be freeing more than it is challenging or, or, or feeling like we're in trouble or doing something wrong. It means that instead of feeling like we need to find an expert uh, to disciple us or feeling like that we ourselves have to be the experts, right, or be the guru uh, to other people in the church, we're free to be mutually encouraging to one another. Think about that. Discipleship, as far as Paul is concerned, is the same as mutual helping. It's the same as encouraging one another in faith, to challenging one another to grow in the context of personal and intimate friendships. It's a willingness to be vulnerable about our lives, to sharing things that are hard, praying for one another, loving one another through life's challenges. This is what discipleship can be. I think so often, and I speak for myself uh, in this as well, that we're afraid, we're, we're nervous to, to be open and honest with, with other people. We're afraid to admit that we don't understand everything about the Bible, right? We don't know everything about faith. We're not an expert. We're not uh, 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 Jesus aficionados, right? We think that before we can bring up uh, these other uh, faith things to other Christians, we ourselves have to have our own stuff together. But Paul's very call to, to the Christians in, in, in Corinth is to lead one another and, and to find their core in identifying themselves with Christ rather than with their leaders, preaching the gospel to one another in personal, communal relationships and friendships. That's where the true power is, not in group association. The power is in humbly following the shepherd of our soul and encouraging sheep alongside us to keep going. So how do we do this, right? Okay, we talked a little bit about the ideas of this. How do we practically, what does this look like practically? I have four takeaways, okay? Four takeaways from Paul's dealings with the Corinthians here that I think will help. The first is that discipleship requires relationship, okay? It's clear that Paul 
knows these people, right? He spent time with them. He calls them by name. He remembers uh, the ways that they interacted. Discipleship is a relational thing. It's personal. It's interactive. To experience discipleship, we have to be in relationship with one another. This may seem like a little bit obvious, but before we can actually encourage and challenge and help and share with one another, we have to have someone uh, to share that with. And I I know that we talked about Twitter earlier, but I I, w- I want to m- sort of make a comment about how social media can play into this. And I find social media to be very helpful and useful and enjoyable at times. But um, I, think it's, I think it's hard to experience this type of discipleship uh, solely through a screen with people that we don't know. That doesn't mean that we can't utilize technology per se, obviously. But posting, you know, posting a, a tweet or, or a status or something like that. Uh, and taking solace in knowing that you know 50 people commented on it or 50 people liked it, that could be that could be a sense of a false sense of security. So I want us to be aware of that in 2018, right? And relationships are risky. Okay, they often leave us vulnerable. I had a very close friend during my first two years of seminary who, uh, kind of once he got close to trying to find a job and graduating, he was a year ahead of me. He sort of forgot about me, right? I, I put a lot of emotional effort into this relationship, and when it sort of abruptly ended, I was. If I'm honest, I was hurt and I was sad and I, I mad a little bit. I felt a lot of different emotions. And relationships are a risk worth taking. And until we take the risk of investing in a friendship or a close relationship that leaves us open to being hurt, right? It gives us the possibility that, that pain could come. We won't know unless we take that risk, the depths and the significance what a close, uh, of what a close relationship, a close discipleship relationship could be. The second thing is that discipleship requires time. Paul himself spent lots of time doing different things. He traveled all around the Mediterranean Sea to different cities, planting churches, teaching, preaching, discipling, putting down roots, building tents. He did all kinds of stuff. Discipleship requires a time investment. It's something that you have to make time for. This goes hand in hand with relationship, of course. Uh, It's certainly possible to develop uh, relationships in a very short amount of time, but I don't know if that's necessarily uh, the easiest way or the most common way that it happens. Most things take time to grow, right? They take investment. They take making an effort uh, to get together. You have to schedule time to hang out. Uh, You have to be responsible with planning your days and weeks. Adult stuff, you know what I mean? And everyone's busy, right, okay? Everyone, pretty much everyone's busy, right? Maybe you, maybe you spend like 42 hours a week like in your pajamas playing video games. You're not busy if that's you. We can talk about that later. But most people, jobs, school, family, kids, travel, church, working out, all kinds of different stuff. Most of it is good stuff, right? Things that we should be investing in. But discipleship isn't just gonna start happening. Relationships are not just gonna start happening unless we actually make an effort to, to, to do it to plan for it, to carve out time in our schedules to participate in it. The third thing is that discipleship requires intent. You can make time to hang out with someone. You can develop a good relationship with someone. But unless there is some kind of intentionality or vision behind what you're doing, discipleship isn't going to just happen by accident. We know this mostly to be true with romantic relationships, right? You can hang out with someone, you can even go on dates, but unless uh, one of the two people actually expresses that they have feelings for one another, you're in the pretty much awkward phase of just being like, you want to be official, like you want to be my boyfriend or my girlfriend, whatever. That's an awkward place to be in, okay? I've been there. You know what I'm talking about, Ashley. All right. 
But discipleship is kind of like dating, right? Okay, it's always helpful to know what someone's feeling, what they're intending this relationship to be. It doesn't have to be awkward necessarily. It can be as simple as like, hey, bro, like, do you want to grab coffee and talk about life? Like, I don't, maybe dudes don't talk that way. I do. But, um, or like, hey, would it be crazy if we hung out and talked about some stuff I was thinking about from church last week? This is, this is normal, right? This is just how you ask a friend out to not date you, but just to be your friend. I get it, it's awkward, I'm telling you, like, whatever. I'm just a guy standing in front of another guy asking him if he wants to talk about Jesus. Notting Hill, if you haven't seen this, okay, cool, it's fine. Notting Hill. All right, so I'm serious, okay. In some sense, okay, uh, um, there has to be an understanding between two people, has to be an understanding within a group that says, this is what we're about, we can do small talk, talk about sports, talk about um, uh, jobs, talk about all kinds of stuff, but we're actually committed we're actually committed in this group or in this friendship to sharing and to talking about real things, thinking about spirituality, emotions. We're committed to encouraging one another uh, in the gospel with the word of God, praying for one another, that type of thing. All right, the fourth and final thing is that discipleship requires humility. Nobody has infinite patience to be the friend of someone who never stops talking. Be a good listener. Ask good questions. When someone asks you a question, take it there, okay? Go to the place that can be a little difficult to share. It requires humility to both listen well and to share well. And your story matters. Your feelings, your thoughts, they matter. They matter to God, and they should matter to someone else who cares about you. Share it. Share your story. Share your heart. Invite others to do the same. Create spaces where people feel loved, they feel cared for, and listened to. Be a good listener. A well-known pastor and author had a great response to someone who asked him to be their discipler, right? To be their spiritual director. Basically, they were asking, please disciple me. And he declined, and he responded with this. And the quote isn't up there because I just decided to put it in like 20 minutes ago. But the quote is, him responding to uh, to the guy that asked him, would you be my spiritual director? And he said, no. He said, you seem disappointed that I'm not more responsive to your interest in spiritual direction. Actually, I am more than a little ambivalent about the term, particularly in the ways it is being used so loosely without any sense of knowledge of the church's traditions in these matters. If by spiritual direction, here's here's the big point, if by spiritual direction you mean entering into a friendship with another person in which an awareness and responsiveness to God's spirit in the everydayness of your life is cultivated, fine. Then why call it an awkward term like spiritual direction? Why not just call it friend? In conclusion, I'd like to say two things. The first... Uh, is that what I, uh, I want to say what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that having a mentor or having a disciple or having authors or pastors that you really like or appreciate is bad, not in any way. I would venture to say that all of us hopefully have uh, uh, people who have greatly influenced our lives and people who have spoken into our, uh, uh, our faith journeys. So don't kill your heroes. Like, don't, don't go home and, like, burn your books or, like, delete phone numbers or anything. What I'm saying is that it's important for us to give the appropriate rank and weight to the influences in our lives, to view them as functional saviors or as intermittent saviors that will only leave us unfulfilled and surprised when they're unable to save us or make us whole. Our gurus can't save us. 
Our mentors can't save us. Our pastors can't save us. At their best and at our best, what we can do is point to the one who can save. As Paul says in verse 17, preaching the gospel in simple terms and concepts. And the final thing that I want to say today is that I want to appeal to everyone here today, Christian and non-Christian alike, to make Christ your only chief shepherd of your spirit and of your heart. Recognize that he alone can save. He alone can make us whole. He alone ushers us into a family of faith. It is by his shepherding of our, of our souls that is at the core of the gospel message, that we don't deserve to call God our Father based on our own merits and our own goodness. Jesus Christ came to earth, he lived, he died, he rose again so that we could experience salvation by faith in him. All of us down here, whether we're presidents or CEOs or pastors or students or janitors or businesswomen or fishermen or Oprah, okay, we are all at most sheeps in comparison to Christ who is our ultimate shepherd. Sheep, not sheeps, sheep to a shepherd who is the ultimate chief shepherd in Jesus Christ. No sheep can shepherd the souls of the flock, but only Christ is the good shepherd. The scriptures say this of him in Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend the flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus himself says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus Christ is the only chief shepherd of our souls. And if you know him today as your Savior, if you know Christ, I want to encourage you to pursue discipleship. Pursue it in community. Pursue people in this church, believers in your family, roommates, friends, pastors, elders of churches, whatever, whoever. Share your life. Be vulnerable. Spend time with one another. Make it a priority in your life. This is one of the reasons that Christianity was made to be in community. We're supposed to be mutually encouraging one another. We're supposed to grow and take steps of faith alongside each other. Think about the things that we've discussed today. And if you have more questions, you're, of course, welcome to talk to any of the leaders of this church, talk to myself, talk to any of the other pastors. If you don't know Christ today, I want to encourage you to wrestle with this idea that Christ is the good shepherd. Consider becoming his disciple for the first time even today. Consider following him. Consider finding a new peace and a new home and a new family. Jesus came to lead his sheep. Take pride in following the chief shepherd, for he is the only one who can captain our souls. Reach out to those around you. Encourage them in following Jesus. This is what everyday discipleship is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this place, for this building, for Sundays. We could gather here together. 
And God, I just ask that you would, uh, like we talked about today in the scriptures, Lord, that you would humble us, Lord, that you would show us uh, the things that we follow, maybe some of the things that we shouldn't be following so closely or giving so much weight to. Um, And Father, I ask that uh, through Christ you would make us strong, that you would encourage us, Lord, that we would know the truths of the gospel and that we would know the experience of uh, becoming a follower of you. Lord, and I pray that we as a church, we as a community, those who are visitors here today even, Lord, I pray that we would all be uh, mutually encouraging to one another, that we would encourage one another to take steps of faith, Lord, that we would encourage one another to know you, uh, to love you, and to care for you. In your name we pray, amen.